Speaking of pastors, what I want you to do is figure out who this pastor is. Famous pastor, okay? And as I go through it, I'll give you clues. You guys ready? Okay. You might get it pretty quick. But uh, here's one who wrote a, a resume and a letter to a church. He says, I'd like to apply for the position. I have many qualifications. I've been a preacher with much success and also has had some success as a writer. Some say I'm a good organizer. I've been a leader most places I've been. Not enough yet, right? Nobody figured this one out yet? Okay. I'm over 50 years of age. I've never preached in one place for more than three years. In some places, I have left town after my work has caused riots and disturbances. I must admit, I have been in jail three or four times. But not because of any real wrongdoing. My health is not good, though I still get a great deal done. The churches I have preached in have been small, though located in several large cities. I have not got along well with religious leaders in towns where I have preached. In fact, some have threatened me and even attacked me physically. I am not too good at keeping records. I have been known to forget whom I have baptized. However, if you can use me, I shall do my best for you. Paul. I think you guys had it halfway through there, right? (laughs) Well, guess what? We're talking about pastors today. Pastors of all things. Pastors. Yes, God has something to say about that in our Scripture. And uh, you'd say, well, what does this mean to me, right? Well, the church is a living organism. And God has given us a living unity within this body. It's amazing how it works. This body has parts and it has the most significant part is really the head. And the head is Jesus Christ. That's the most vital part. But everybody is vital and uh, we're separate in our functions. But yet, we are mutually dependent upon each other. And certainly Christ the head. Christ runs the church. He runs it all. He is the head. Uh, But He has delegated certain men to take up leadership in local churches. And what they do is shepherd His people under His headship. And what God does is He gives us order in Scripture. And of course, the church is real important. So He has a lot of things to say about the church in Scripture. And of course, in Titus, we get three chapters of it. And uh, He gets to this day in verse 5 where He talks about setting things in order. Uh, Things have to be done in, in an orderly way. Now, what had happened is Paul left Titus there on the island of Crete. And I'm sure Titus is saying, thanks, Paul. (laughs) Paul had other things to do. So he went out and did his ministry. And now we see Titus with a sizable task to accomplish. The island of Crete is not just a little couple of miles wide and one mile long or something like that. It's a fairly large island. And there are cities on that island. And he's the one responsible for getting the elders in those churches. And so anyway, with this quite a number of churches... We know that these churches are struggling. They're pretty young. And there's a pagan culture that surrounds them. Remember, that Isle of Crete is very paganistic. 
Also, in the church is false teaching. So outside you have the pagan culture, inside you have false teaching. Paul is really concerned, and he says, Titus, go after it. Go get it. Go get the elders, the pastors in each churches, each of the churches. Make sure they have them. So this letter is written to correct the errors, the problems that uh, they're facing there. And it's going to take godly leadership to fix the various problems that they're dealing with. Uh, the error is going to have to be confronted. And churches are either going to be strong or weak. And it's going to depend upon the spiritual maturity and the doctrinal soundness of uh, the church, the leaders of that church. So Paul has a strategy and he wants to promote godliness amongst the people and uh, so he has to appoint elders, and uh, Titus is going to do that. Now, Paul wants people to grow in grace. He wants them to be discipled. He wants elders to be an example for the people as they get nothing but sound doctrine. That and nothing but that. If God's people are going to adorn the very gospel of God, they must have godly elders who are committed to biblical doctrine that they teach. And these people badly needed to be discipled. They, for the most part, were young Christians. And Paul had gone throughout the aisle with uh, Titus and had set up some churches or they had visited there. And there was a worldliness that was confronting them. Uh, the immorality of that pagan society that said, hey, this is the way you do it. And of course, God's Word says, no, this is the way you do it. Elders are necessary for spiritual well-being of the church. So as we go through this letter to Titus, we're going to learn how the church is structured and be reminded of how the church is structured and also being instructed on how it is to operate. We start with the elders and they're being instructed there on what they are to be and what they do, what their characteristics are, and what their commitments are to be. And so when one looks for elders, that's uh, some of the things and they're mentioned right here. So if the body of Christ could follow these prescriptions today that are all throughout the Word, and especially right here in Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9, I think the church would be in far less confusion and you would have uh, more of an influence on the world with the church if they were to follow just these instructions here. It would just make so much of a difference. It is so good when the church understands the structure of the church. And so even though it's a pastoral letter, it's not just the Titus the pastor, but it's all the people. And so they would understand this is how the church is. And by the time you get into uh, later on in, in, uh, in the book of Titus, we'll see the rest of the people in the church. So we, we start with the, with the elders. That's a good place to start as they're considered to be the leaders. Why don't we just, um, hey, why don't we just stand up and get a stretch just for a moment. And uh, we're in chapter 1, verse 5. And Paul says this, For this reason I left you in Crete, Titus, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. 
Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he'll be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your precious Word and open our hearts and our minds to be able to understand a little bit more of Your truths and how the church works. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, well, uh, as Alistair Begg had said whenever he was on this passage. Uh, he said he would rather just be out there listening rather than <laughs> preaching on this. Because actually, these qualifications, even though on the surface they look pretty simple, but they're pretty profound, quite demanding. And so uh, we uh, talk about the elders, and I'll say, or pastors. I'll get into those terms. First thing we're going to do is say, okay, what is an elder then? What is what is that? I, I hear it. Uh, some churches have elders, and other churches don't have elders, or at least title them that. Um, what's the deal? Why why don't they have, or why why do they have? You can see the same passage basically in First Timothy, which is a pastoral letter. That's in chapter three, and he'll start off with kind of a different word. Uh, if you wanted to turn back to that in First Timothy chapter three. It's a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer. In Titus, we see the word elder, and here is overseer. It's a fine work he desires to do. And overseer then must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. Very similar. You say, well, there he's addressing the overseers, and in Titus he's addressing somebody else, the elders, right? No. He's addressing the same one. Uh, they can be called elders. They can be called overseers or Bishop, they can be called pastor. And we'll see why that is. And we know in a lot of denominations, uh, they will have a hierarchy set up where you have bishops and you have elders and you have pastors. But we're going to show that they're all one and the same. How are we going to prove that? Well, let's let's look at it for a moment. The first uh, word here, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order, right? He's setting things in order. Uh, make sure things are clicking there. And whatever remains, what needs to be done, you do it. And make sure you appoint elders or ordain them. In every city, as I directed you. The word is presbyteros, which we get our word presbyterian. That English word that we know as a denomination is based upon Presbyterian rule or elder rule. That means there are actually elder elders in the plural who lead the church. They make decisions. And uh, that's it. basically there are a lot more things that go with that, but it's a check and balance system. It's kind of the way our government works. Uh, and that, it, that's a good thing. I mean, there's checks and balances. Of course, it can be taken to the extreme. And man always tends to go to extremes sometimes too, one way or the other. Uh, but we you know, kind of need a balance. Uh, in the Hebrew, according to Jewish understanding, it, it, first of all, way back it meant a, an old man, uh, an elder. 
coming from a noun that meant bearded. So if one was bearded, and this is no shave month, I understand. Oh, got one over here. You're abiding by that rule. I, I didn't do very good. Bob, Bob looks like he's abiding by that rule. Johnny, you got a little bit there? Michael? Michael's got some too? Uh, well, and there, you know, Nick, he's got it. Zach probably usually does. Hmm. No, no, where's yours? You're with me. Okay, good deal. And of course, yes. All right, all right. So I'm not alone. I'm not the only man here that's not abiding by that rule. Anyway, that's dealing with somebody that would be older, mature. I think the appropriate idea from them would be to understand he is mature in character and it comes from years of experience. Now that would be a basic idea of that, and that's how the Jews thought of that. Um, mature men who provided leadership, that kind of thought. To, in the New Testament, basically it's the same thing. It's talking about mature men who reflected consistent godly behavior, godly character, who were leaders in the church. And as we look in the New Testament, we'll see the elder actually has uh, an official role. Um, so when we talk about that in that sense, now there are, there's the sense of, hey, mind your elders, right? And, and of course we'll see that too. But um, So it's dealing with the character, character of the man, but in, in leadership also. Now in Crete, remember, there really aren't too many mature believers there since most people are probably pretty new converts. And in Crete, they had to choose the godliest men that they had. And if they would have gone to maybe uh, some other churches and other cities, they may not have been the elders there. But they have to pick who can do it the best, whoever's there. And the New Testament frequently refers to elders of various churches. Let's look in Acts chapter 15. Acts is a good place to start, isn't it? Because that's where we see the church grow. And you might be familiar with this doctrine and you may not. I mean, over the course of years, we have discussed this many times, but it's really good to go back and review. And some of you are hearing this for the first time. And what do you mean? Elders, bishops, pastors, leaders, overseers. What, what is that, Dennis? And all we have to do is just go to Scripture and I think it will confirm our thoughts on this. And we're not alone. There are many, many other people who believe the same thing, but there are many others that don't. Um, I think they've got it confused. But in, in Acts 15.2, uh, this was a matter over circumcision. The church comes together. Um, body of Christ had uh, some errors going. Legalism. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles, we know who they are, and elders concerning this issue. We don't get a lot about that, but we do get elders are meeting along with the apostles and they're making some kind of decision. They're making uh, some kind of an effort to get things set in order. And elders are there. Uh, Go to chapter 16, verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities, and this is Paul and Silas, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Now that was referring back to the Jerusalem council back in chapter 15 that we just read, that verse. And so everywhere they went, they told them about the decision that they made that uh, we're no longer under the circumcision law. Um, you know, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised to be in the church. 
And so they're to tell that. So uh, the elders and the apostles made that ruling. Uh, go back to chapter 14, verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So elders were appointed and then commended there before the people. They were to lead the church, these particular ones. Uh, go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Later on, Peter writes this. And of course, Paul talks about it. Now we have Peter. Luke uh, wrote the book of Acts. So from different people, it sounds like we're starting to get a basic idea here. I think Peter really gives us a good handle here. Verse 1 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elders and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. That's Peter. He's saying, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow believer just like you. I'm a fellow elder. He's a, he was a shepherd. You know, feed the flock, Jesus told him to do. And uh, here in verse 2, what does he say? Shepherd the flock of God among you. Hey, you elders, I'm likewise an elder, and here's what I want you to do. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising what? Oversight. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Not for sort of gain, but with eagerness and not lording it over and such. So you get elders in verse 1. Did you notice that? And then in verse 2, what do you get? You get, here's what you do, here's the action, shepherd or that's how we get our English word pastoring, shepherding, pastoring. And the next word is exercising oversight, which would be a, a related to episkopos or to oversee, or in English it's known as bishop. So in, in Peter, in these first two verses of chapter 5, you get elders, presbyteros, you get shepherd, poimen, Pastor and oversight, which means to oversee or to bishop, episcopos, episcopalian. Okay, we'll get to that in just a moment. But so you see how these terms are coming together. That's how we have these words. Uh, we see other terms: bishops and pastors. Elders are not deacons, however. Don't get that confused, because some people will have deacons in a church. The church I grew up with had a lot of deacons. They had one head pastor. Not usually called elder, but he was a pastor, and that's okay. But they had the deacons who would make the decisions along with the pastor. And they'd have deacons meetings, and they'd make decisions for the church. And as I found this out in Scripture, looking at Timothy, pastoral letter, Titus, pastoral letter, and the book of Acts, and in Peter, some of the passages we look at, I go, wow, this sounds kind of different than the way that I grew up with. Because the deacons made the rules. <laughs> they led the church. They kicked pastors out. They brought pastors in. They made all the decisions. Well, to me, either they were elders or they were deacons who were out of place. They should have been called elders if they were the ones to make the decision. The only thing is, did they have the same qualifications? If they're deacons, do they meet the qualifications of an elder? There is, there is a difference. And they must be able to teach and exercise uh, leadership and such. I've seen a lot of deacons who didn't have a lot of those gifts. 
And you'll, you'll notice in Timothy there is definitely a, a different list for deacons. Basically the same, but a difference. They're servants. Uh, and, and all of us are servants, but they, they were table waiters. They were just to go out and serve people, help people, whatever they did. So they, they served in a, in a role there. Uh, but that's what I say. That's, I think that's created much confusion. And that was in the Baptist church. And a lot of them operate that way where you have deacons who are really elders. But are they really elders? Do they meet the qualifications? So I'm telling on my denomination that I grew up in. I think it was wrong. And since then, there have been a lot of Reformed people come along saying, you know, what we're doing is wrong. And they'll come and they'll, they'll turn that thing around and they'll have elders who are capable of being uh, those leaders. And they have a multiple eldership, which is really what it's supposed to be. And then you, they have the many deacons. And so they, they make it biblical rather than making it the ways that maybe some tradition said. So I think that's, that is helpful in that. Uh, that's why I think they have mass confusion in a lot of Baptist churches. Why do they have so many splits? And why do they have so many people just totally misunderstanding things and then doing, doing things like kicking people out of the church? Uh, they're in the wrong position. Now, the word overseer is a, in the Greek... In the Greek text, if you're reading a Greek text here, the, the word would be episkopos or episkopos. We'll put it that way. Epi means to be uh, over, or, uh, beyond, upon. Scopus, like a scope, is to see or to watch. So what do you have? To watch over. To oversee. You see the idea there? And so when you see that word, the overseer, and, and we've already ran into that, then uh, you'll, you'll find it in verse 7. He says elder in verse 5, and then in verse 7, for the overseer must be above reproach. I'm glad Paul does that. In the same text here, it's like, wait a minute, Paul, you're talking elder, now you're talking overseer. Wait a minute. It's one and the same. He says he calls them both. And this bishop. There's the word bishop. Boy, is that ever confused today. And the bishop is the same as the elder or pastor. You can call him bishop. You can call him overseer. You can call him um, elder, whatever. He was over all the pastors in uh, in that city, for instance. Maybe uh, if eventually, I think that's what came out to be, where you would have a bishop who would be over not only a city where they'd have multiple churches. Maybe it'd be a whole area. And the bishop would go oversee those churches. Well, that's a hierarchy. Uh, you know, in the Catholic Church, an Episcopalian church, the Catholic Church, you have what? Popes and cardinals and bishops, priests, you know, you know, on and down. You know, that's a hierarchy. That is not found in Scripture. The Episcopalian Church practices the bishop and then you know, the one in the local church and such. But is that biblical? Is that true? And so I'm telling a lot of denominations, and this is why some of the denominations got started. They shifted off and said, no, here's what they do. It was dealing with government. How's the church to be governed? Is it supposed to be a bunch of people in different roles and some are over other people? Or are there ones who are equal, like elders, and they make the decisions? Or do you have one man who leads everything and he calls the shots? Well, uh, we don't see that either. Um, 
what does the elder do when we see overseer here describes what he does. He oversees the congregation, his local church. He watches over them. Watches over. Um, Look in Acts 20, verse 17. Go back and do a little more research again. Just trying to be as biblical as we can get on our understanding. Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, this is Paul, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. You notice the word elders? That's a a multiple situation. Elders. Now, drop down into verse 28. He says, okay, I want all the elders to meet me. I want all the leaders in the church to meet me. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you... What? Overseer. Who is he speaking to? What's the same guys? He called the elders there. Now what does he call them? Overseers. Or what's their name? Bishops. And what are they to do? To shepherd the church of God. Now, isn't that interesting? Here in just a few short amount of verses, again, we get all three. We get elder, we get overseer or bishop, episcopos, and we get shepherd or pastor. Isn't that interesting? Shepherd, overseer, elder. And there's those passages again. In Titus, we get elder, we get overseer or bishop. And in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. This time he's saying the same thing, but it's a little bit different. Obey your leaders. Just says leaders this time. And submit to them for they... What do they do though? They keep watch over your souls. What are they? They're overseers. Hmm. Putting this together. And of course, uh, we could turn to 1 Peter 5, the uh, first two verses there, but we already read that. And we saw how all those words there um, um, mean the same thing. Uh, what about what about just pastor itself? I don't see that. I haven't seen that word. I've seen shepherd, Dennis. Uh, turn to Ephesians 4.11. And I think this is the only time that you'll see the word pastor, at least in my translation. And this is what God does. When He sets up a church, when He first started it, and He set down the foundation, and He said, okay, He gave certain gifts to certain men, and He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And it's better to see that in the Greek, pastor-teacher. Pastor-teacher. One pers- persons or, or, or a group of people, but they're, they're, they're together called pastor-teacher. A pastor cannot be a pastor unless he teaches. Just because one teaches doesn't make them a pastor. But a pastor always, I believe, has to be a teacher. And because of this verse right here, one who has that gift, at least in some capacity, maybe not a preacher. But um, go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And so we're getting a lot of different texts that will prove here without just saying, hey, you just have to take my word for it. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the, and he calls them here, overseers or bishops or episcopos. 
and deacons. There you have it separated. The overseers and the deacons. So we have a lot of verses to just put together and say, oh, well, what's the confusion about? I don't think there's any confusion whatsoever. You know, and so... And then there are churches today who don't want to have anybody in their church to be called a pastor. Uh, I think the Church of Christ and Christian Church uh, absolutely get offended when you call their leader of their church the pastor. Why that is, I'm not so sure. They say it has something to do with the New Testament. <laughs> Look at the text. And go, why? 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 Man is man. Man comes up with certain rules and things that go outside of Scripture. And let's let's just say, let's just get back this together. And Reformation did a lot of it. Started bringing back things. Let's get biblical. Why are we making our own rules? Where did those things come from? You ever ask yourself certain traditions? You can say, yeah, where did that come from? Could be good. But the good thing is, is, is it scriptural? Is it something that we can hang our hat on, right? Okay. Anyway, got that across, right? What the elders do? What do they do? Well, we've kind of already looked at that, but you have a, a really good picture of a shepherd and the flock, and that gives much of the functions of the church leaders. The shepherd led his flock to the pastures where they were fed. Now that that's the real real sheep animals <laughs> leads them out into the pastures. Why why uh, to get them out of, out away from the barn or something to go out to eat to take in what they need. The the elders must feed the word of God to the church. That's really the biggest assignment that a pastor has. That is the overriding element to a pastor to feed the flock. That has to be that way. All elders must know the Scripture. They must be able to teach. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, they have to feed the flock. It says in Timothy, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So that's, that's another thing. Uh, they have to exhort in sound doctrine. They have to keep people from error. There are contradictions out there in the world today. And of course, Titus 1.9 in our text today says that. That's, I mean, it makes it very clear. I mean, it says, here's, here's what it's all about, Titus. I, uh, I'm telling you all of this because I want you to hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict when you choose your elders, he says, make sure above all things that they have this, but they have to have those other ones too, which we'll get into in a moment. But, um, shepherding the flock. A lot of passages, some we kind of looked at. And anyway, they're to have general oversight over the, the lives of the people in the church to make sure they're spiritually healthy. He has that main concern that they, they would grow. He wants to guard the flock from error. Uh, sometimes there's decisions that need to be made. 
and uh, he helps in the direction of the church and that, and uh, helps in the direction of the the finances. He doesn't do all of these things, but he makes sure that everything is in line. When I say he, remember, it's it's a good thing to have the the multiple situation, but they uh, they come alongside other ministry leaders for guidance, for help, uh, to resolve any kind of conflicts between the members. Uh, but the elders don't do all the work, but they make sure that it is to be to done, uh, to be delegated uh, to the qualified workers. All those problems in a church can be traced all the way back to where defective leadership. This is, I mean, this is where it's, it's really, really humbling. Um, there must be elders who. Lead by the crook uh, of the of the word of God, and say crook, uh, you know the the, the shepherd's crook. That's what he has. He has the word. That's what he uses. Listen, if I ever stop teaching the Bible, then you will know that I don't care for you anymore. This is why I teach the Bible because I extremely care for each and every individual in in our body. And I know the most important thing, and really sometimes the only thing I can give you is the Word of God. It's the only thing I can give myself. And of course, it's it's God's Word. So that's how important it is. A shepherd leads his people to the pastors of the Word. And what is so sad today is that you have the pastorettes who give their sermonettes and people walk out with about ten minutes worth of some kind of fluff, a story or something. And it has nothing to do with building them up. They didn't really hear the preached word of God. And yeah, that's why we probably go for we go for an hour. I don't know too many that even do that. And I'm not saying that that is the mark at all. I, I can I can hear some guys that do 30 minutes, and they've done a lot more than me than I can do in an hour and a half. And so I don't knock it just because of time, but because of me, I need that extra time to make sure I get this across to somehow make it some kind of clear, some kind of clarity. So that's that's my problem. That's why I take it as long as I do. But I don't think that's the only reason. I want to make sure you guys get your money's worth. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want you to walk out of here and feel cheated. And if I did... If I dropped in about 15 minutes and started doing messages on it, I would feel absolutely guilty. And I think you guys would start getting on to me. What's the deal? Where's the message at? So time does play a little bit of an element there. But What are the characteristics of the, uh, the elder? Well, we see right here. They're listed pretty self-explanatory. He says, here's, here's what you check out on them. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious. Oh, no, we read that. We'll come back to that. There's certain characteristics here that he's going to bring forth, and there are a lot of them. And we might have thought that, okay, it's the wealthy people. It's the powerful people. It's the educated people who are to be the leader. It's the ones who really have a way with words. And my, he... He's a great speaker and uh, a great personality, right? Uh, I went to a church for quite a few years. And you know, always, 
was really hesitant to really bring out the depth of the Word of God. And occasionally he would, and I'd go up and commend him, and he said, oh, I can't do that most of the time because people couldn't understand it. I go, what? I said, I appreciate it. I'm glad you... you what he did is he did an expository uh, on a passage in out of Psalms, believe it or not. He explained the passage. And he says, no, I, I can't do that. And he went around saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a good preacher but I, I like to be a good pastor. I like to go out. He was able to talk with people. And that made people feel good. And that's really what he was noted for. He says, I'm not a really good preacher though. I don't, I don't preach the Bible very good. And I'm thinking, why in the world was he in the pulpit? What was he doing? What was he about? Maybe he should have been a deacon going out and just kind of dealing with the people, but he was not. And he said he was. He, wasn't, he really wasn't the, the pastor uh, teacher. He was there at that church for, goodness, I don't know, 30 years or so? Maybe longer. One of the most respected men in the community. They can be interesting people, well-educated, gone to seminary, grew up in the church, does that give them the characteristics, though, to be an elder? Well, an elder are the ones who desire to be godly, desire to the things of God, desire to live out all these qualities. And you know what these qualities, when you look in verse 7, <clears throat> verse 8, do you know that's really for every believer? <laughs> Does this mean, okay, only the overseer is supposed to be not self-willed and not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine. That means, okay, well, all the other people in the church can be quick-tempered, angry people, and they can be drunks and uh, start fights and, and uh, really uh, hungry for money and uh, not hospitable. No, it means everybody. But above all, the leader of the church even has to be an example and make sure that he has not the negative characteristics here. He is one who is mature. Now, he's not instantly mature. And when you think above reproach here, it's not that he is to be perfect because if you had perfect characteristics of anybody, then that there would be nobody at the pulpit. <laughs> nobody would be here if they could they follow these absolutely in that sense. But it sums up in verse seven the man's home life. What's his character like at home? And then also now that's in verse six, I'm sorry. That's his home life. Husband and one wife, children and such. And then in verse 7, it's dealing with his personal character outside the home or anywhere. So, uh, there shouldn't be anything in a man's life that would uh, bring a charge or accusation. Something that really that stuck out. Not only in the church, but even outside in the community or of course, definitely in the church. Above reproach doesn't mean faultless. It doesn't mean... Uh, flawless doesn't mean perfect but it does mean one who is mature and growing more mature he has a reputation that uh, doesn't invite criticism getting criticism constantly that would be truthful uh, not deficient in these characteristics Uh, he would be unimpeachable 
You know, you, you impeach a president, and so a pastor would be one who is there's nothing to impeach him about. Now he goes on and says, "Okay, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, a one woman man, is the thought here, and it can mean first of all that they're not to be polygamist." How would that look like in the early church there in Crete? And they had a pastor who had about three or four wives. That's not a good thing. And you know what? That actually did happen. That's what happened in on, on Crete. Remember, this is a, a really filthy place. So let's just start with this. We're not going to have uh, one with a bunch of wives. Uh, that was part of the social structure. But it means to have one wife that one is committed to. And I know a lot of people get into the the past life and then the divorce and everything. And the way that I see it, though, I think there is a conversion of somebody once they have become a Christian. Now, there might be something that they're carrying in baggage, but God does convert people and change them. So I'm not one to say that that's exactly what it means. It's reading into a text here, and different denominations take it differently and different... Churches and their governments will will come up with that, and I, you know, let's say if one divorced as a Christian, I think that would be very tainted, and uh, it would cause a blight. But what if he was not a believer before, or maybe thought he was, but he really wasn't? Is it possible that he could have his life changed, and he's now have he has one wife who he's committed to? I think he can. I really do. I, I, I kind of have reversed on that after looking and studying this over the course of years and just thinking, you know, God changes people. Does that mean they can't... If you've had a past life that was uh, of drunkenness, let's say, can they be a pastor as, if, as God converts them they become a Christian? Well, why couldn't they? What if one was a thief in past life? You start looking at the law, and my goodness, our sins are incredible in that past life. Nobody could be a pastor. Nobody could be an elder. But it's funny when people see that and they go, oh, well, that means they can only have been married to one wife all their lives. Well, that's a good place to start if one wants. Um, but I, I think it's, it's worth looking at, but it's not to be dogmatic. Uh, the main idea is there to be characterized by marital and sexual fidelity. And if there's any other problem then with that, then we know that uh, they're disqualified. He's devoted to his wife alone, under the control of God's Spirit. Uh, he is not enslaved to any kind of uh, woman relationship. The next one he goes to, and he stays in the household, uh, one who has children who believe, having children who believe, uh, children under control, uh, and there again, I think one has to be careful with that, but I think having your kids under somewhat of a control, kids are going to be kids, they're going to do things. And if they do one thing, does that mean the pastor ought to be kicked out? Or sometimes they act like unbelievers, and maybe they're not believers yet. How about they're five years old and they're really not committed to Christ yet? <laughs> there again, I think we have to really look at the text and see what the meaning is behind this. You don't want to have a family that doesn't is not committed to what you are about or at least to be under some control, right? There have been many godly men who have had children who later rebelled. Uh, Billy Graham is one. But look at him now. What, you know, Franklin Graham is preaching the Gospel, right? But at one time, Billy Graham had a son who was a prodigal. Went off and did some crazy things. But should he have been kicked out? I don't think so. No? 
Um, but he should model godly behavior in the home. And those children usually are going to follow. It's interesting. When you have a godly man in the household, usually the women follow. If the men are following the, the way that it's set out for, uh, for them to do. If we pray and we read the Bible and we just show it in our lifestyle, how much of an influence is that on our kids? doesn't guarantee that they're going to be believers. I don't think anybody has a guarantee. But we do know that we want to teach our children to come to believe in Christ. And we can't we can lead them to truth, but we can't make them be saved, can we? And but we, we don't want them to grow up and then reject Christ later and whatever, but the idea is that a pastor is to make sure there is a control there. You know, um, have his home life in order. Uh, if he can't keep his family in control at home, how could he ever be a leader in the church, right? And I think that's the idea. It's going. People are going to look at that. I think it's the acid test. If one doesn't have somewhat of control at home, uh, then, hey, they, they, they fit all these other ones, but that one, uh, boy, that really sticks out. How can we have him as pastor? Because his kids are a terror and none of them are, have any kind of interest in God at all and he has no kind of control. Um, then I think that's well said. That's that's the idea I think and the the meaning behind most of this. Uh, one who's devoted to his wife and he has children who are not unruly or rebellious. I think it's the most probing of how a man is. It's the best testing ground to be a leader of of how it is at home. Well, how about his personal life? Oh, by the way, some of them uh, say having children believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. And I, I used to think, well, that is the, the guy who's considered to be an elder. He's not to be accused of dissipation or rebellion. Well, that would be an obvious, so we could put that with him. But I think it goes along with the, the children. And from many commentaries that I read, they put that together with children. They're not to be uh, in, in, uh, drunkenness and, and rebelling. Uh, that would be a terrible witness. be a terrible witness for the pastor, wouldn't it? Uh, so, verse 7 then says, For the overseer must be above reproach. And he says it again. Now he goes to the personal life. And he says, as God's steward. What's a steward? A steward is one who takes care of a household. <laughs> um, one who has been committed by the owner. The steward is kind of like a servant. And he takes care of his finances. He takes care of uh, the, the food, all the things that happen there in, in the household, and he manages that household, especially while that owner is gone for a while. He's a steward. Uh, we are stewards, aren't we, with what God has given us, our gifts, um, uh, the you know, money, every, everything about us, we are stewards of. We are to use that. Well, that's what he says. A, a steward. God's steward. Not self-willed. Not self-willed. Not self-pleasing. Not self-willed, not self-pleasing. Dealing with self, not arrogant. How would you like to have a pastor who's arrogant? Did you know we live in a generation of my way? I did it my way. Think about that great song that some of us remember growing up with. And you know what? That is in the top three songs of funeral songs. I was blown away. I heard that from Alistair Begg. It's got to be right. I think he searched that out. That just, 
you know what? I heard it at a funeral before. And I thought it did sound kind of funny. They had that there, but I did it my way. I did it my way. That is self-willed, isn't it? That is the opposite of what Christianity teaches, doesn't it? Not self-willed. They love to assert themselves. Downward in humility, it's been said, which leads to heavenly upward. We die to self. Ah, What's the next one? Not quick temper. This man is always one spark away from blowing up. He's ready to blow off right there. He uses anger to control others to get his way. Right? He doesn't go his way. He gets angry. He gets mad. Not quick-tempered. Slow to speak, as James says in James 1. Not addicted to wine. You can go to all the Proverbs. Wine here includes any alcoholic beverages. Not addicted to that. Um, it warns here about the dangers of wine and strong drink, especially for, for leaders. We know drunkenness is absolutely sin. In our society today, most of the time, it's a bad witness. And uh, I don't think you guys would appreciate it if I was in a grocery store and you happened to see me buying a six-pack and maybe a, a little bit of vodka and maybe a couple of other things and I had that in a basket and then went off and go, wow, what's he doing? I think it caused quite a stir. And not only you guys, but all across the city, people know that I was at the bookstore, Alpha and Omega Christian Bookstore, and there I am buying a six-pack. I think it would probably cause a lot of difficulty with some people. I've seen other people in churches that were, were taking that out. I'm going, okay, and they believe a little bit differently on that, but I hope they're not getting drunk. If they're doing that, I know that that's a sin. But it does cause that. It causes a stumbling block with other people for sure because they would see that. So we have to be really careful and, and what, what it actually does in the ultimate. But uh, definitely leaders are not to be addicted to that wine, that alcohol. Church leaders must be especially careful. Don't cause stumbling. Next word I think is pretty fascinating. Not pugnacious. That means one likes to duke it out. They like to fight. I'm sure there on the island of Crete they had their fights. You know, can you imagine? Yeah, Dennis really got into it yesterday. Did you see him out there on High Street? And he was popping that guy in the head. He won, though. <laughs> Boy, that'd be great, wouldn't it? That's my pastor over there. That's my pastor. Who's that guy? That's my pastor. He goes around striking people. He's a bully. He's an aggressive bully. <laughs> exactly. It's contradictory, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. That's why I don't put those bumper stickers on there. He was sad. Look at that. Not loving money is the next one. Not fond of sordid gain. That's not his uh, greedy man. Is not to be qualified. Matter of fact, any of these fit for all of us. <laughs> they all do for all of us. But especially, man, if a pastor's doing this, I mean, it's time for him to go. You know, that's, that's a, there's a major problem here if he really has problems with all these. They're tempted to take advantage of people financially. Man, how many are doing that today on the TV? The the, the preachers on TV taking taking poor people's money and. and Taking that, it's, it's like embezzling, and you've heard of many of those have been caught. And not loving money. And then the next one is hospitable. 
And that's one who, the Greek word means a lover of strangers. And he, he wants to take care of people, you know, whatever, whatever. If elders are not friendly and they're not warm to people, then they don't have any reason to be uh, leading in a church. Um, they should have a genuine interest in others. That should be their thought. And, matter of fact, to put out a challenge, if you're ever talking with someone and you're really hitting it off, but then on the side of, of you over here, you see a visitor who's all alone and he's just standing there. And you realize, I'm talking with somebody here, but this person needs to be gotten to. Go to that person. Excuse yourself. Say, hey, can you hang on to this just for a moment? I, I need to talk to somebody. Make them feel welcome. If we ever have a visitor here, I want to see people being hospitable to people we don't know. Go up and talk to them. Or if somebody's talking with them at the time, you can stand there with them or at least wait and then come up and at least you know shake their hand and say, hey, it was really good for you to be here today. We we're glad to have you. Something like that. That's a good thing to do. We all should be hospitable because we see we're commanded throughout Scripture to be that way. Um, it's not just on one person to do that. Go to that visitor and make him feel welcome. Be hospitable. Um, next one is loving what is good. Philippians. Four eight. If anything is worthy, anything that is good, think on these things, right? Think on those things. Not some kind of violent, sensual filth that is always put before us. Next is sensible. An elder must be sensible. Sound mind. Especially not being impulsive. Uh, to, to think about it and to check things out. Not to let the emotions go up and down, fluctuating. Uh, he doesn't give in to impulses. Um, he, he desires to be just level-headed. Just let's, let's think here. Let's, wait a minute. Let's be sensible. Uh, he must be just, it says here. Uh, justified, we think of being declared righteous. I think it, in this case, I think it means one who is just in himself. He, he's fair. He's fair with things. Um, he, he's not partial to certain people or the wealthy. He doesn't ignore or belittle the, the poor people. He, he's fair. He's just. Uh, the next one is devout. He must be devout. Practical holiness. Living that out. Separate from sin. Evil behavior. The next word is self-controlled. That's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? All these words are for everybody. We want to excel in these, but definitely uh, the leaders... Control over uh, harmful desires, knowing Christ more deeply, uh, being uh, effective as a shepherd over the flock, disciplined uh, about spending time alone with God and being controlled by His Word and as we're in prayer, just letting Him lead us. So, moral of the story is, sum all those up. Make sure you don't have a bunch of arrogant drunks who get angry and punch others out. <laughs> that's, you know, that's basically what it said. Watch out for those guys because they shouldn't be leading the church, right? They're supposed to pay money. Huh? They're supposed to pay money. Uh, well, moving on. Self-control, right? <laughs> Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he'll be both able to exhort and sound doctrine, refute those that contradict. I've already talked about this. It's the Word of God.
It's summed all up in verse 9. He says, this is the overriding characteristic. of having all of those, if you're committed to God's Word, you're going to have those things. That means to have a biblical understanding, to have biblical convictions, and everything is based upon the Word of God. Hold fast the faithful Word, having a deep conviction of the Word of God. And also to exhort in sound doctrine. Biblical exhortation that comes out of this. To encourage, to come alongside, to call alongside others, to exhort, to encourage with the Word of God. Sound doctrine. And, not only is that presented, but then when biblical error is to be able to refute those who contradict. When error is there, he must point it out. It might offend somebody to say, well, I believed this. And say, well... I'm glad you have a conviction, but let's look at it. Let's look at the truth. Let's look at what the Bible says. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Let's take a look and see what Scripture says about that, right? And if we can go and at least talk about that, you know what? God is really glorified because that's how we get to the end of the argument. All we have to do is say, let's go to the book. What does it say? And let's have enough verses here to support it. And if that be the case, we can say, oh, you know what? You're right. Thanks for showing me that. I appreciate that. I don't want to go down the wrong path. I thought that was right, but it's not. You know what? All of us have to be continually being kind of corrected when we get into the Word of God. Have you noticed things in your thinking have changed in the last ten years? Five years? Three years? If you're in God's Word, that's what happens when you when you read it. and You see God's Word a little more clear. thing is, we have like sunglasses on. And they're dark, and and it seems like sometimes we don't see it clearly, and then maybe the the lens becomes a little more brighter for us, a little bit more. Word of God, that's what it's all about. That's what the, the ministry is about. And if we're living that out and desiring to live it out more, to be more mature, then that's the idea. So that's what God's word is on this. Thank you guys. As we go through that passage, thank you for letting me be this, be your pastor all that time. And uh, from here on out, I know you're going to have to kick me out now. <laughs> As we go through, you guys aren't laughing. <laughs> you take the word of God seriously. I know. Let's pray.